It's February 26, 2006. We are discussing lesson 16. Uh, not counting this lesson, we have four more to go? Four. 17, 18, 19, 20. Yes, four more to go. Uh, let's open in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for uh, all that you give us. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself not only in uh, uh, the world around us, but you've revealed yourself specifically in your word, and you desire for us to know you. Teach us through your word, we ask this evening. In Yeshua's name, Amen. Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Leolam Vaid Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakabanu Mikoha Amin Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Ata Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Bless Adonai who is blessed Bless Adonai who is blessed forever Blessed art thou, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, we're looking at uh, Lesson 16, which uh, gave us, what was it, not enough homework. (laughs) You search the scriptures, for in them you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. That, of course, is Yeshua speaking in John 5.39. So when he did not find him, speaking of Yeshua, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple. (gasps) sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Luke 2, 45-50 Yeshua loved the temple. And he loved what the temple represented. And he loved, thank you, and he loved the word uh, being discussed in the temple. It's interesting, he asks questions, and they were astonished at his answers. So who's asking questions? Him or the sages of Israel? Yes. Well, Yeshua, Yeshua is, is uh, not only master, he is also, uh, he is also a... Uh, a young boy at this point, or a young man at this point, and he is uh, playing the role of uh, yeshiva uh, student, asking questions. All good teachers ask questions. Um, they were astonished at his answers. Uh, we read that and kind of scratch our heads, going, "What kind of deal is that?" You know, we're un- we're we're unaware of the method of answering questions by asking questions. Last week we looked at the depth, in depth, at the Yom Kippur service, at Yom Kippur itself, and the correlation to Yeshua's event, which we would not call Yom Kippur, Yeshua's event in the heavenly tabernacle. Uh, Along with that, let me just read real quickly, uh, Valerie... Valerie is ill and uh, sent me this email. Wanted me. She said last week she was wanting to raise her hand in the discussion. She wasn't here. Wanted to raise her hand in the discussion. Add my two cents. 
a thought on why the sacrifice needs to be made in the heavenly tabernacle first for the ultimate redemption and covering of sin, but also that an unholy people would be able to draw near to God there. Sacrifices at the earthly tabernacle, temple, were so that a sinful people could draw near to an utterly holy and therefore dangerous God. Earthly things real, but shadows of the heavenly things. Heavenly things real, but shadows on earth. Which was a great point. Obviously, she did her homework. Albeit short, she did her homework. And... uh, Uh, so she did her homework, so she was, uh, she was anxious to contribute, and she, I'm sure she didn't know I was going to contribute to, that way. But we did, uh, what we did see also in that physical Yom Kippur, that it did cleanse uh, the error of our uh, reading of Hebrews, uh, some people would be in coming up with the idea that it didn't work, or that it worked only in a manner of speaking, Right, uh, almost as if it were some sort of substitution. Uh, substitution. In other words, okay, they did the Yom Kippur service, and it was applied in the heavenlies by Yeshua, and so therefore they were forgiven of their sins in that year because of the 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 uh, forensic. Uh, Atonement that Yeshua offered in the heavenlies. In other words, it was applied forensically. It was a it was a fact, but it was after the fact. It was before the fact, after the fact. And that that's actually the opposite of what Hebrews is saying. It says it doesn't it doesn't take away sin. It never took away sin. It was never intended to take away sin. Its intention was to cleanse, and it does say it did, and does actually because it speaks in the present tense. It does. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a, of a heifer does cleanse the flesh. And just as Valerie noted, it cleanses because to experience God in a physical tabernacle or temple, He is holy and He is dangerous. That's right. So it does. It does cleanse. It does not take away sin. Which is exciting when you get this concept and you go, wow. Because what it does, it teaches me not only about the tabernacle slash temple here in this world and its function and purpose. It does tell me something about, it does tell me something about the, the heavenlies as well. And it does mirror that same thing. It doesn't, it's not exactly the same. It is different. But it does give me glimpses at what it's all about. And the holiness of God begins to be reiterated again as it has often been mitigated or, or, or almost uh, done away with the idea that well you know uh, Jesus did so you don't have to well you know I'm sorry he's a holy God and he remains a holy God and he is he is he is repelled or he repels sin and those who are unholy that has not changed. We saw that Yom Kippur was never about eternal atonement, but it was temporal to continue to have the tabernacle as a functional uh, entity or a functional uh, unit uh, for that year. Yom Kippur is a chukat olam. It is a statute forever. It did not go away because the physical has not gone away. The, uh, this week we're going to look at this issue of shadows and the nature of reality, which we'll get right into. 
Uh, you, this comes from your homework, all this reading that you did. Plato, of course, is a Greek philosopher. And in the 3rd and 4th century, uh, Plato um, uh, is, is uh, teaching, uh, like his teacher, Socrates, uh, these are some very laudable men uh, in some people's minds. I don't know. You read their life story. You read the, actually what, you said, what they said. I, I don't only find them not laudable. I find them to be the kind of people that if they lived today, I would tell my sons and my daughters to close their ears and not listen to a word they're saying because they're speaking lies. Uh, he, he is, Plato was not a righteous man by any scope of the imagination. Even in terms of Greek thinking, he wasn't a righteous man. Egalitarianism, as we experience in, in uh, today's society, in American democracy or anywhere in the Western world in democracy, he would have he he been disgusted by the idea. But the mere masses, they don't know any better. Uh, he, was, he, was a, he was an elitist and he was arrogant. Um, we can learn nothing from Plato except how to, how to dispatch his thoughts. Because they're, they are not good. But he wanted to teach about the nature of reality, so he came up with this cave analogy. And in the Republic, uh, his work Republic, he used the cave analogy to describe how reality works. And basically, uh, a short version of, of, uh, of the cave analogy is, of course, that uh, we are all in this world uh, really just blind bats, as it were, living in a cave. And the only thing that we can see or perceive of what reality really is, which is higher than us, because we are... We are we are made of material things. It's, it's early Gnosticism that says, you know, the, 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 the physical is bad, sinful, evil. Where it is the spiritual is good. And somehow the physical is being bad uh, can never perceive the spiritual. Except by these, these shadows that are being cast in the back of the cave, as the analogy goes. And these shadows that are cast in the ba- back of the cave give us the, give us the idea that there is a reality out there, but we cannot perceive it through those shadows. We must rise, as it were, we must elevate ourselves spiritually to the point where the physical is no longer important, which is where aestheticism, Greek aestheticism comes from. Uh, there's other variations, Epicureans who say, no, no, we need to kill the flesh, the earthly, by engaging in all manner of disgusting things. These, ex- these two extremes are trying to do the same thing. To perceive the forms, and that's a, pla- a platonic word, the forms that cast the shadows. We cannot determine what the forms look like by looking at the shadows. The shadows teach us nothing other than the fact that we're just people, you know, in this physical world and we don't know what reality is. That's the, that's the cave analogy. The cave analogy actually does a really good job in setting us up to understand how it is that our scriptures were hijacked by men beginning in the second century of the common era. Men who were trained in Greek philosophy and who hijacked the scriptures because they read it and they go, shadows, I know what that's all about. The spiritual and physical, ooh, the physical is bad, the spiritual is good. 
those Jews, they get into the physical things. Outward things like those big boxes they put in their foreheads and their uh, straps they wrap around there. And they, the, what are those things they hang down from their, from their garments on the four corners? You know, whatever those things, those, those tassels that, well, Jesus said those tassels were bad. And he talked about those phylacteries they put on their head that they were bad. And, and that kind of thinking and that kind of speaking became part of the theology that they promoted. And it, and it, was, it was theology, it was the theology both of Rome and uh, Byzantium. However, as time went on, and as the church, as it were, merged, it became the theology of everybody. Until Luther. And he had an opportunity. And Zwingli and others had an opportunity. Calvin. We're going to break with... We're going to break with you where you don't agree with Scripture. We're going to only say what Scripture says. Sola Scriptura. We're only going to say what Scripture says. We're going to teach what Scripture says. Traditions in and of themselves may not be bad, but your traditions have pulled us away from the commandments of God. Sadly enough, Luther started well with that thought, but didn't finish and complete the circle. The complete of the circle was, hey, you need to go back to the scriptures and try and examine. Are you looking at them through Western eyes, or are you looking at them as a Hebrew, as a Jew would read them? And instead we see the opposite, the incredible anti-Semitism that was found in Protestantism as well. And until recently, we all lived in the dark, as it were. In the cave. Shadows, in Plato's view, shadows hinder us from seeing reality. Because reality is spiritual. Shadows hinder. They get in the way. They block our spiritual vision, as it were. Uh, that is so important in understanding how the, how the apostolic scriptures have been interpreted for 2,000 years. As, as doing away with shadows because the shadows after all will detract they'll take away from listen Jesus is our tabernacle so to study or to, or to if we had a tabernacle that would be bad because it would take us away from him it would detract from him uh, uh, Jesus is our sacrifice if we had sacrifices oh you know God forbid because it would take away from him um, it, all of the external things that someone might do that are described in scripture are bad because they detract from the work that Jesus really did. Now, that all sounds very logical in a platonic sort of way. This adapting or this adopting of, of, of Platoism, and it's not just Plato, it's, it's, it's Greek thinking in, in particular. Although the, the early church fathers were, were enamored with Plato to a, to, a, to a large degree. They quote him. Uh, um, they even make him some sort of believer. Uh, origin uh, considers him some sort of believer even uh, you know it's like well he believed in Logos well then he must have believed in the word and the word is is, uh, is, uh, is, is Messiah and so he, he must have been a believer as well uh, Augustine does similar things you know they give a whole lot of leeway to Plato they give no leeway to Jewish sages <laughs> they give no credence no value uh, to what they're when they when they quote scriptures they give no value to them but when they hear Plato speak they, they think that's the greatest thing uh, Augustine and Origen uh, um, are probably the worst of of the most well known early church fathers the worst when it comes to this idea of adapting Plato and bringing Plato into theology and this theistic uh, Platonism is what we have and Christianity has in large part become a religion of theistic Platonism. 
Thoughts supersede deeds. That's what theistic Platonism does. Thoughts supersede deeds. To the point that deeds, it's not that they don't matter, but they're irrelevant. As long as you have the right belief system, right? You've perceived the forms, the truth. Your head, your head is in a higher plane. Then your deeds are really insignificant. Uh, they'll follow, hopefully. But sometimes they don't. It doesn't really matter. We don't need to talk about it. We just don't need to talk about it. Okay? And that's generally why, why churches today don't teach the difference between sinful deeds and righteous deeds. Now, they teach of righteousness sometimes. But they don't teach about righteous deeds unless they're raising funds for something. And then as a righteous deed. They talk about sinful deeds sometimes. But only that Yeshua's blood has covered them and therefore it's a good thing that we don't have to be punished for them. Which is true. Actually, that is true. But in this disconnect between the thought and the deed they have created a monster so shadows now because of theistic Platonism are bad bad things in theological terms the epistle of the Hebrews if one reads it as a theistic Platonist might reads totally different but the book of Hebrews was not written by a theistic Platonist not at all and in fact he speaks very glowingly, as we've seen, of these shadows. What is a mere shadow? Go to Colossians 2, 16-17. And does anybody here have an NIV? I'm glad to hear that. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try and fill in. Actually, I think I have it here. Um, I think I have a copy of it. Uh, no, I have one right here. I think it's in our homework, isn't it? Yes. Page uh, 98 in our homework. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a... And it's in italics, but it's not in an NIV. Or it's, it's, it's not in an NIV. Actually, this is New American Standard Version. The NIV does not have this in italics. The NASB puts the mirror in italics. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. There's two things wrong with this, these two verses, this, this translation, and I'm not going to say something the translators would not disagree with. The two things wrong are, they add a word, actually they add two words, they add day as well, Sabbath day. They add a word, and they also change the tense of the verbs. Why did they do that? Besides that, it's a, yeah. Why did they do that? They added near in front of shadow because they're trying to diminish what a shadow is. Actually, there's three things. They change the tense of the word, which is to come, of what is to come, as if it is some, as if it is, uh, uh, future tense. But the substance belongs, but the substance belongs to Christ, the connector there, but, can also read and. And in fact, if one reads those as contrasting statements, it's very easy to see why it's a mere shadow. But they're not contrasting statements at all. They're statements of equality. 
and the substance belongs to Christ. That's not a contrast. And it's, it's a matter of, just like we've been talking about in this study, how much more? The shadows are good. How much more is the shadow caster, as it were? Um, let's go down and read verses, uh, verses 18 through 23, because this is pretty telling. What is it speaking of? So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things uh, to come. This is a New King James word. Which are shadow, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of, is of Messiah. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels. What does, what does the worship of angels have anything to do with food and drink, regard to festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths? Nothing. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourishment, and knit together by joints and ligaments, grow with increased with with increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died to the died with Messiah from the basic principles of this world, pay attention here the basic principles of this world why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations what regulations do not touch do not taste do not handle that's the Jewish stuff right don't touch don't taste don't handle keep reading which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of who Hashem no according to the commandments and doctrines of men dogma this is man made stuff what does man-made stuff have to do with verse 16? Let's keep reading. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. Neglect of the body. Sounds like Greek aestheticism. But of no value against indulgence of the flesh. You see, the problem is, everybody reading this passage reads the first two verses, 16 and 17, and then reads verses 18 through 23 and thinks it's talking about the same thing. And it's not. The shadows are not bad. The shadows are good. Why? Because the substance is Messiah. He's the shadow caster. They give us the outline. He's trying to draw a conclusion. And it's really obvious to me. I don't know why people don't see it. He's trying to draw a conclusion. There's a difference between outward things that God's commanded, and which show you the substance of this hand, and outward things that man makes which do nothing. There's a difference. Why do you equate them in some way? This interesting thing is, I had this quoted to me one time when I talked about Shabbat uh, by a dear brother. Quoted this, he says, "It says, you know, it says in Colossians that we're not supposed to we're not supposed to judge one another with regard to uh, Sabbath." And so I asked him, "Then why are you?" So it works one way, but not the other. No, don't be twisted. <laughs> Yeah, the American standard that the uh, Hebrew comes from does a pretty good job. It does, it does. And NASB is better than the NIV, but how, how does it... It, it, it does the tense which, correct. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. Right. The, only, the, but, the but is the problem I have with, because it, it could go either way. Honestly, it can be but, but it could be and as well. And if you read shadow as, as a bad thing, you would put but. Whereas if you read shadow as a good thing, which we're going to see here in a second, it's a Hebraic thing, uh, you, you'd say... And, and, the shadows. Yeah. Okay. Skia. Now, what is it? Skia. That was easy. Yeah. The Greek word for shadow is skia. Okay. 
It comes from the Hebrew, Sel. Sadi. I think it's an Aleph Lamed. I, I can't remember offhand, but Sel is how you pronounce it. From the root, Salah. Sadi Lamed Lamed is the root. It's like two, two it's Sadi Lamed. It's, uh, is it Sadi Lamed? Yeah, it's two uh, is, is three, because it's the root. Okay? Sadi Lamed Lamed. It comes from the root Salal. We did some looking up of these Hebrew words. Let's go to Genesis 19.8. This is the first usage of the word Salal. By the way, this week's Parsha has this word Sel in it. Does anybody know where? This week's Parsha has the preparation for the building of the Mishkan, the tabernacle. It's in a name. It's in a man's name. That's Alal. Which is Be in Sel Shadow El Hashem. In the shadow of the Almighty is his name. That's cool. Genesis 19.8. I should have been looking up while I was saying that, but I didn't. So, Bethel Filled with wisdom. Anybody know how old Bethel was? We don't know how old Bethel was. But tradition holds he was a young man. Very young man. But like 14. Now there's some wisdom. Uh, 19.8. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm too small. I can't really uh, do this. I'm not big enough. I need some help. I, can I, somebody get me a ladder? <laughs> I know how to do it. I just, I'm not big enough to do it. Uh, 19.8. Genesis 19.8. Now, see, this is, this is Lot speaking. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. That's a bad thing. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow cell of my roof. That's a good thing. To be under the shadow of Lot's roof was a good thing. Would, would you not say so? Absolutely. What does it imply? Protection. Protection. A shadow protects. What does it protect from? There was a shadow in the wilderness. What was it? There was a hot burning sun in the wilderness. And we never got sunburned. There was a cloud by day and a fire by night. We didn't need night lights. And we didn't need sunscreen. Because there was a cloud. It provided a shadow. It protect us. First uh, Chronicles twenty nine fifteen, and actually there's a whole bunch. This this use of the word cell as our our life as a shadow is actually repeated many times. Uh, it's a common usage. Twenty nine fifteen. Are you okay? For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are a shadow and without hope. Our days on earth are a shadow. A vapor, as it were. Psalm 36, 5 through 9. So, I heard that some of you looked up more, more than these references. Did you find any that were... Uh, like stand out all very similar aren't they uh, almost all of the reference to shadow in the Tanakh is good so uh, 
Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve men and beasts. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So, I had you look at a picture. I had you look at a picture of, uh, well, actually, describing describing something. The blank is a ferocious creature, extremely sharp teeth, make it very a very deadly predator. It's able to eat more than its own body weight. No mammal, excuse me, this mammal is known for its voracious appetite and vicious nature. Fix that picture in your mind. Now turn the page. You turn a page and was it a surprise? I was talking about a shrew or maybe I was talking about a saber-toothed cat. If the description actually fits both. So which is it? The picture tells you the story, right? The picture, I mean, you didn't even have to describe it, just show me a picture. That's what you're talking about? Okay, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, the shadow. Uh, that's right. And, and in, this, in this process, originally I had an outline that I was going to do, but you could see what it was by the outline, which is the whole point. The shadow casts the outline. It shows you what it is, what shape it is. Unlike Plato who says, Plato who says you can't learn anything from the shadows, Scripture says you can learn from the shadows. And in fact, you learn the precise outline of what is casting the shadow. The precise, you know exactly what it looks like. And it's found in Isaiah 4. The next one. Isaiah 4, verses 5 through 6, which says, I love this, I love this. This is, this is just an, just coming back from Jerusalem, I imagine this. I imagine this over Jerusalem, over every dwelling place. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day, and the shining of a flame, flaming fire by night. That's like the wilderness, right? For over all the glory there will be a covering. And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and a shelter from storm and rain. What's the shape of it going to be? Isaiah 49 tells us the shape of this shadow. Moses was shown a copy, a shadow on the mountain. You've got chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters of detail on that. Precise detail. Yeah, it's not a fuzzy shadow, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, Isaiah 49, 2-3 says, And he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. To be in the shadow of God's hand is to know the exact outline of what it is. Have you seen God? I haven't. Did Moses see God? No. Not in the sense that he wanted to. It says he saw. He said he saw him in his discussion in the his discussions in the in the tent of meeting, but not in the sense he wanted to because he asked later, "Can I see you? Can I see your glory?" 
And in all these things, you know, you'll die if you do. In all these things, what was it that he was able to perceive of God? The outline. The shadow. That's when he says, I'll cover you with my hand, and when I pass by, you can see my back. That's the shadow. That's the shadow. Why? Because if you are in this life, see him in his glory, you will not remain in this life. The shadows are the only way in this state we can perceive him. The only way. If someone is facing a bright light and you are behind them, you see them as a shadow. Exactly. If you're God and the radiance of your glory shines from your face, then very good. Truly look at and that that is an excellent, excellent picture of seeing his back. He can see the outline of him, as it were. Um, shadow, shadow. Isaiah fifty-one. 15. Did I do that one already? Israel. No, I didn't. Let's do that real quick. 51, 15 through 16. Now, I'm going to read some here in a second. And they, he would probably not appreciate this, but, so I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, but I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I plant... That I may plant the heavens, lay the foundation of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Israel is in the shape of God's hand. They are. They, Israel is a shadow of him, of a reality. Who he is. They are under the outline of his hand. Both in protection, and if you look at them, well, I see the outline of his hand. Romans 1, 19-20. Yeah, you see, Paul, although he was trained in Greek, classical Greek, and certainly uh, wrote in Koine Greek, Paul was unaffected because Scripture remained his source. Romans 1, 19-20. He gives us this picture, and in the giving of this picture, he tells men like Augustine and Origen to sit down. You have nothing to speak of in this matter. Speaking of the nature and the things around them, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, those things that can't be seen, are clearly seen, being understood by the things which that are made, even so... His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Nature itself is in the shape of Him. They are, nature itself is a shadow. Anybody that looks out there and goes, Wow, what an awesome God we serve when they see a sunrise or whatever else. And then turns around and says, Boy, you know, I'm so glad we don't have to do that Passover thing. You know, that was ugly. <laughs> or the sacrifices those were ugly things they're missing the point because in fact the sacrifices are more precise in the outlining of his shape than even the sunrise is because it, it isn't just general he's awesome in the Passover or in the sacrifices he's awesome for me 
and for my benefit. It's personal. Shadows are the visible of what cannot be seen in the physical world. Shadows are. This is, this is, the, distant, this is the disconnect from platonic thinking. Shadows are a part of reality. They are. Okay, let's look at some translator bias. But before we do that, I'm going to read something. I was going to say, I'll read something, you tell me who wrote it, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you right up front. You know, it, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, before the throne of grace today, he, he, would, he would repent for these words. No doubt in my mind. But this is Matthew Henry's comments on Colossians 2, 16-17. The Apostle concludes this chapter with exhortations for proper duty, which he infers from the dis- foregoing discourse. Verse 16. Here is a caution to take heed of Judaizing teachers or those who would impose upon Christians the yoke of the ceremonial law. I would stop and ask him, Mr. Henry, please explain to me, using scripture, your source, what a ceremonial law is. And can you give me an accurate category of what ceremonial law is and what is not ceremonial law? Is the Sabbath ceremonial or not? Much of the ceremonies of the law of Moses consist in the distinction of meats and days. So he says it's ceremonial. Although, if actually, if you, if you read the scripture, it falls into a category that, whether you like it or not, falls more into the moral side. But regardless, he'll say it's ceremonial. It, that's, oh, there you go. It appears by Romans 14 that there were those who were keeping up those distinctions. But here the Apostle shows that since Christ has come and canceled the ceremonial law, we ought not to keep it up. I don't know by what authority he says this. Certainly not Yeshua's authority in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Let no man impose those things upon you, for God has not imposed them. If God had made you free... Be not you again entangled in that yoke of bondage. How awful it must be to live by the commands of an almighty loving God. That's his attitude. And this is the re- and this the rather because these things were shadows of things to come. Mr. Henry, please understand that you have mistranslated that that phrase of things to come. Intimating and actually even if you had even if you hadn't mistranslated it when are they coming? Were they, had they not arrived in Colossians? Intimating that they had, continue my reading, intimating that they had no intrinsic worth. They had no intrinsic worth in them and that they are now done away. They had no intrinsic worth? And then he quotes, but the body is of Christ. The body, and he goes on to commenting, the body of which they were shadows has come. And to continue the ceremonial observances, which are only types and shadows of Christ in the gospel, carries an intimation that Christ has not yet come, and the gospel state has not yet commenced. Observe the advantages we have in the gospel. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Above what they had under the law. They had the shadows. We have the substance. I would ask Mr. Henry, when have you seen Yeshua? Have you seen him? Do you know what he looks like? Do you know his words? How do his words mean something to you every single day? Do you live by them? 
Is it just a thought? Mr. Henry was a righteous man. No, no question in my mind. The problem is that his teaching has, has taught unrighteousness to people. Because what he's done is he's taken, how can anyone say that what God has said is bad? And that's what he's done. He says that because those things pointed to Messiah, if you keep doing it, you're taking away from him. How can that possibly be? I don't see Messiah today. If I did those things, if they pointed to him before, why would they not point to him now? (laughs) But it's more than just point to Understand, these are not things about fulfilling prophecy. Okay, now I figured out who he is, and now I don't need those things. When you read the Tanakh that way, you will, you will probably not spend much time there, because you already figured out who he is, you think. But if you read the Tanakh in the way that Yeshua read the Tanakh, and encourages his, his disciples to read the Tanakh, you will discover that that's how you know him today. It's not just a conscious thing. It's not just a, a, I believe these things about Jesus and go down a list. It's the living day by day. According to the very patterns, it's reminders. If I were to take off my ring, my wedding ring, am I still married? Yes, I'm still married. Why do I wear it then? I know I'm married. Why do I wear it? What's the point of this ring? Is this ring, in fact, does it subtract from the fact that I'm married? Does it say, listen, when I put this ring on, I'm actually diminishing my marriage. Because I'm detracting from it. It's taking the place of it. What is it doing? What does this ring do? It reminds me that I'm married. It reminds everyone around me that I'm married. Why? Because my behavior is affected by it and other people's behavior is affected by it as well. The ring is a symbol, a token. It is a shadow. But is it... Does what it represent... Is it what it represents real? Yes. Is my wearing of it a reality? Yes, it is. And it does affect me. And it affects those around me. How someone like Matthew Henry can say these things about the very... Exactly the very same point. Passover. My guess is Matthew Henry celebrated Easter... God bless him, he was confused. Why celebrate Easter at all? Why celebrate anything having to do with the resurrection? After all, he's resurrected, why remember it? (laughs) I mean, when you start down the logical path, we could turn Greek philosophy and Greek logic around on it, right? When you start down the logical path, it actually is really very silly. To say that which has been fulfilled, and I use that word, I use that word as they use it, that which has been fulfilled no longer is important to me. That's nonsense. All the more reason if it's been fulfilled to continue to practice it. Not only that, my Colossians chapter 2, verses 17, 16 and 17, or 17 and 18, 16 and 17, right there in my Bible, I have Isaiah 66 written in my handwriting. Because when I go to Isaiah 66, i got to scratch my head saying, you know something? Okay, maybe Sabbath's wrong today according to this verse. But it ain't going to be wrong in the future. So what's up with that? Because Isaiah 66 says that we will keep his Sabbaths. Oh no, those are spiritual Sabbaths, Rick. (laughs) Why spiritual Sabbaths? Yeah. No, no, yeah. The point of it is that 
Colossians 2 clearly is not speaking in negative terms of shadows. It's speaking in positive things. We're supposed to learn about Messiah. Especially Rav Shaul, a rabbi of impeccable credentials, who when he was accused, could only be accused on the false charge that he brought a Gentile into the temple. They could have accused him of all manner of things if, if, other than that, if we are to believe what people say that he's teaching. They could have, they could have easily said, you are teaching against the Torah, you are teaching people to break the Torah, and to do such is a death sentence. Yet they never brought that charge against him, never once. What they brought against him was a charge that he was teaching against this place, and as with Stephen, and more importantly that you brought Gentiles into here. Paul was trying to bring Gentiles into the community of Israel, but he didn't force it upon them by bringing them into the temple. And the point is that Paul would never have said this in this way, when he himself was in fact in Jerusalem for the feasts. What, what, I do it, but you shouldn't? You know, I'm sorry, y'all, you're Gentiles, you're doing the Sunday thing. But before I come talk to you on the Sunday thing, I, I'm going to go to the synagogue on Shabbat. Is that what it says in the book of Acts? Where was Paul on the Sabbath? He was in the synagogues teaching until they threw him out. But he was in the synagogues teaching. Some threw him out. So why would, why would we have this new thing like, no, no, don't, don't worry about the Sabbath anymore? Why? Paul did. Obviously, we have a disconnect. So, let's look at some of this bias that we've seen in our, in our editing. And it's unapologetic. Una, you know, they basically say, yeah, we edit it, so what? It conveys the truth of it. Colossians 2, 16-17, they fiddled with the words, they changed the tenses, is coming. A better rendition would be a shadow of he who is coming. He who is coming. It actually, they say it. They use things as well. And it can, if you read it, it is it things that's coming? What's coming? Think. What things are coming? There's a person coming. And he is coming. He's come and he is coming. And the substance is Messiah. As I say, this fits with the practice of, of uh, Paul and Messiah Yeshua. All the way through the book of John. All the feasts are mentioned. In addition to the eighth feast, uh, which we would say is hidden, is, is, is uh, Hanukkah. Now, why, why is the chronology of John set up according to the feasts that we're not supposed to pay attention to. Hebrews 8, 4 through 5. I had this down here. Hebrews 8, 4 through 5. The tabernacle system. It's a perfect shadow of the shadow caster, is it not? It is. It says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. The writer of the book in Hebrews is reminding us, Listen, this is according to God's decree. He wants to make sure that it's exactly. When you looked at the tabernacle, it was made exactly as God showed him. It was a perfect shadow. That's what he wants them to know. The writer of the book of Hebrews wants the people receiving this letter to hear that tabernacle was a perfect shadow of, the, of what he was shown on the mountain. In my version, <laughs> I'm not a very good translator, but I didn't, I didn't mess with the verbs. For if Messiah were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are already priests who offer the gifts according to the Torah, who serve in the visible manifestation the visible thing 
and the shadow of who, again, not it, who is heavenly. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown on the mountain. Hebrews 10.1 Translator fiddled with the tenses again. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. The implication when reading this in the New King James is that, listen, when the law came, you know, there was something good coming. But now that it's come, that's no longer important. Okay? Which would have confused Paul, again, uh, how many years? Uh, almost 30 years after the resurrection. He's still going to the, ta- to the temple. Uh, in fact, apparently, all the believers in Jerusalem were shock they were so confused you know did they not get it well that's that's what theologians say these poor people are in transition they haven't yet figured it out but now we've got the theology figured out which says in effect those who were closest to the master closest to his teaching didn't have good teaching but now that it's filtered through our charcoal we can tell you what it really all means no those who are closest to the source Right? Where the water comes out of the mountain and it's not yet touched all the other people or things on the way down, the closest place to the source is the best way that you can know. The best way that we can know how we can live is found in the book of Acts. The first believers, those living in the very place where Yeshua ministered to us. So, Hebrews 10.1 translates fitted with these tenses too. Present tenses. It has a shadow. Not having. As if it's, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's perfect tense. You know, there was, yeah, there was a shadow. It has a shadow. In other words, it's ongoing. The Torah, in other words, this validates the ongoing nature of the Torah. Has, the Torah has a shadow. It still has a shadow. Is what, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews said. It still has a shadow. Of the good things to come. Again, same problem. Tenses of the good who is coming. Not has come. Who's coming? Has he, has he yet fulfilled everything? He has done everything that is necessary for righteousness. Has all scripture been fulfilled regarding his coming? Absolutely not. He will come again. Then he will reign. And not the very image of things can never with those same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. And again, my, my was, for the Torah has a shadow of the good which, who is coming, not the physical representative, representation or a replacement for his work. It was never meant to replace his work. That's the, the error of men like Matthew Henry. They think that those are those that Yeshua replaced, or more importantly, that if we continued to do it, we would replace Yeshua's work. It's a shadow. It points to what he did for us. It doesn't do it. Keeping Shabbat, resting on Shabbat on the Sabbath, does not give us eternal rest. It's a rehearsal. It teaches us what eternal rest is. Because there remains a rest. That's right. If we understand the epistle to the Hebrews the way that the translators want us to, we will inevitably, including, by the way, our version here that we include in our workbook, which is the World uh, English 
Bible, or it's the Hebrew names version, which is based upon the World English Bible, which is based upon the American Standard Version. Uh, if we, if uh, including that, if we understand it in the way the translators want us to, we will inevitably arrive at a disconnect from the rest of Scripture. It's very difficult to read the words in red in a Bible. Yeshua's words, and line it up with Paul's words. It is. It just is. It's, it's almost impossible, I would say. You inevitably have to play games, dispensational games, where you say, that was before the cross, Paul speaking after the cross, as if a span of mere days would make a difference. Everything changed. Well, everything did change. But he was slain from the foundation of the world. So when did it change? What we, what we know, we know is that men, uh, men like Shimon or women like Anna were righteous. And they were declared righteous by God. And that was before the cross. And we're going to move into Hebrews chapter 11 here in a few weeks. And not a nary a one listed is after the cross. Why? Certainly, the writer of the book of Hebrews could have cited numerous righteous people after the cross, yet didn't. Why? Why does no one ask that question? Why are they concentrating on these people to describe what faith is? We must understand that shadows are not bad. But the only way we will see the spiritual while we are confined to the physical. They're the only way. I have not seen him. Now, the, the disciples saw Yeshua. Did they see him? As he truly was? The closest they would have come is on the mass. Very good. I agree. I agree. Another moment was probably on the road to mass. After the, uh, after the discussion on the road to mass. But even then, they didn't recognize him. To see him as he truly is would be to see him reigning on David's throne in Jerusalem. That's to see him as he truly is. And until we see that, we have not. And they didn't either. And in fact, the shadows point to that. When we, when we, when we diminish and when we, we reduce the things of God, the tabernacle, the temple, the temple system, when we reduce them to a negative, as detracting from the work of Yeshua, we will not hope for their coming. And yet we have been told we should. We should pray for their coming, as it were. We should pray expecting that Ezekiel's, the last eight chapters of Ezekiel, will be fulfilled in our day. And it's about a temple. As many, if as many theologians suggest that the temple system, the Feast of Hashem, and all those sort of things are repugnant to God, then the theology, that is in fact the mere shadow. The reality is that Yeshua is revealed in them, and no amount of messing with verb tenses of perverting the words will negate that fact. He is revealed in, him, in them. Anybody who has celebrated the Feast of the Lord can, can, can attest for this. Anyone who has truly understood and practices the Sabbath can attest to the fact that it points to Yeshua, it doesn't detract from it. Anybody that has studied the sacrificial system can understand that it is a beautiful picture 
of how it is that we, sinful people, can approach, have been provided for, a way to approach a holy God. You didn't show himself sincerely. did. You're, you're looking there, and they're talking about It's me. talking about me. When we did, when we did, not they, not they did talk about me, and they're not anymore. They're ta- still they speaking still of me. And, and unfortunately, what we've done is we've 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 got a great we've got a great set of scriptures. The back quarter of our Bible is a great, it's an awesome set of scriptures because of the detail and precision that are offered. <laughs> unfortunately, they actually have so spoiled us that we're unwilling to look for Yeshua in the fir- in the first three quarters. When we look for him in the first three quarters, he is not only revealed in prophetic sense, he's revealed in a practical sense, ongoing sense. When we say, blessed are you, Hashem our God, who sanctifies us by these commandments, and has commanded us to fill in the blank. Understanding that that is a fulfillment of, of who God is, and how he has in fact given us pictures of Yeshua, righteous. He is our righteousness. And it will be righteousness unto you. It will be righteousness for you if you obey these things which I... How is that? That's the connection. Yeshua is seen in the commandments. Not, he's, not, he's not diminished by the commandments. He's seen. He is, he is in fact lifted up. He is in fact upright before us in the commandments. They are the de- declaration. He is Messiah. And, and what's very clear is you, as you study prophecy and as you study uh, the prophets that Israel uh, the thing that God has against Israel and the prophets is not that they have rejected Yeshua does God have something against people who re- reject Yeshua? certainly and, and we should encourage people to know him but the thing that the prophets declare is what he has against them is that they have not obeyed him and Deuteronomy 30 tells us when they turn to him and repent and obey him, he will reveal himself to them. So if the commandments are bad, as Matthew Henry and others would like us to consider, because they're a shadow and they detract and they pull people away from Messiah, then how is it possible that it is the very obedience of those commandments in Israel that God will honor with the revelation the physical revelation of him who is pierced. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this study. We thank you for the shadows. We know that you are a loving God. We know that you are a Father who loves us dearly. And we know that nothing that comes from your hand could ever be called bad. And we know the shape of your hand and that it is always good and gracious. Everything within it is good. It is not a burden that you have given to us it is delight and we delight in what you give us I thank you for uh, men who have been faithful to you in the teaching of your word and been faithful to you as Yeshua said that will be great in the kingdom of God because they have taught the commandments and I bless you that you have given us them and in Yeshua's name I pray Amen Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natalanu Torah Temet Vachai Olam Natabetochenu Baruch Adonai Notin HaTorah Amen Blessed art thou Adonai our God King of the universe who gave to us the Torah of truth and planted eternal life in our midst 
Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen.